Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. It's the most talked about distance of all. Those that have done it eulogise about the journey and the transformative power of taking it on and succeeding. It was at one time viewed as the greatest physical challenge of human endurance known to man. And even though lots more people are doing it, it's still very dangerous if you prepare and execute it wrongly. Today, an Irishman running abroad, we get a marathon masterclass from the legend herself, Sonia O'Sullivan. Sonia, of course, is a former winner of the Dublin City Marathon and has a PB of 2 hours, 29 minutes, 1 second over the distance. Just to put it in context for you there. She will be answering all of your questions on everything from nutrition to tapering. And if you're contemplating starting training, we're going to get into what you need to consider before you head down that path. As always, you can get the extra large, the extra long version of our weekly episodes over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad for the price of just one cup of coffee each month you can support the creation of this show get detailed episode notes and even more tips advice and recommendations from Sonia, and hundreds of hours of great interviews to accompany you on your long runs for whatever the hell you're preparing for first of all Sonia, how are things over there in america and what happened with the olympic trials yeah, the Olympic trials are still on and the weather is really heating up. It's getting really hot and, you know, we, they're talking Fahrenheit over here. So we're, we'll be approaching 100 degrees this week, which is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> and make America. it hard to train as well, I'd say. Well, it does. But then a lot of athletes actually enjoy that now at the moment, because especially any athletes who are looking ahead to Tokyo, because it's going to be really hot over there. So yesterday I was back in uh, Beaverton at the Nike track and I was meeting up with a couple of our athletes who are running later in the week, the women's 800, Raven Rogers and Craig Engels in the 1500 meters. And they were on one of their last training sessions and we were supposed to go Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and we changed it to 4 p.m. so that we could really train in the Mm -hmm. heat. And it really was hot. And, you know, and it's one of those things when you're hanging around all day waiting for a run, it just gets hotter and hotter. But when you know that there's purpose and a reason why you're doing it, then they they both were excited to do it and to go out there. And, you know, you need to acclimatize yourself to this level of heat and humidity so that when it comes to, you know, racing on the Olympic stage, that you're you're ready for it. And that's one thing that you're not worried about. Yeah, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on as well as we get to all the questions that have been posed by the members of our Strava Running Club, which you should be a member of if you're listening to this. You'd love it over there because sometimes the members are literally answering each other's questions because there's an awful lot of experienced runners over there, including Aoife Cook, who will take part in the marathon at this Olympiad. For Ireland, best of luck to Aoife, who I know is in the States at the moment training. I know she listens to the show, so big shout out to Aoife. Recreating the running, the race conditions is what, of course, you're referring to there, Sonia. You, you've obviously run in heat yourself. What, what was the hottest you had to run in? Like, it must be one that's burned into your memory. Not really, because you, like, you remember hot places, 
But when you go to run a race, you're just so well prepared for it that you don't really worry about that hmm. because there's nothing you can't you can't change it. So you prepare as best you as best you can, yeah. and then you have in your mind, okay, well this is the same for everybody. So we just get out here and do it. And a lot of the time, the races that I would have run, you know, they're only you know 15 minutes at most. Hmm. So it's not really that huge amount of time. So the important thing is the time that you spend in the heat before the race. Gotcha. So when you go when you're going to the track and you're warming up, that you're not out in the heat for too long, and that would be a big key factor for a lot of people getting ready for these races. Now a marathon is very different in the heat. I don't think I've run a very long distance. Actually, once I ran in India. In India, one time I ran a half marathon. And that was pretty hot. That was that was definitely the hottest place I have run, where you didn't have to warm up that much because you were sweating mm. before you even moved. <laughs> and um, I can remember at that race actually there was a the Chinese there was a few Chinese there, and they were running around in their full tracksuit before the race. <laughs> oh my god! And you're thinking, what is going on here? But, you know, different courses for different people, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, well, they, uh, they just don't. Uh, the, yeah, that's strange because I remember, uh, well, uh, this week I watched, and this is my recommendation if people are looking for a documentary to watch this week. I watched the Jack Charlton documentary, which is now on the BBC iPlayer. And you can track it down anywhere on any on-demand service. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Sonia, but it's an unbelievably moving documentary about that period and... Uh, Jack getting the job and taking Ireland to Italia 90. And when we talk about heat in sporting events, we have to talk about Ireland versus Mexico, where, I mean, it seemed like the whole team went into meltdown and uh, particularly John Aldridge and Jack on the sideline screaming at that man in the yellow hat, in full, full earshot of the microphones back home. We all learned a few new curses that day. Uh, but I wondered if that ever happens where you're it's too hot, like you're in India and it's too hot and it's actually affecting your in, your mentality in the race. Oh, it definitely would get too hot. And I think then the less prepared you are, the more it's going to affect you. And you do have to adjust your race plan. You have to adjust the pace that you're running at and you have to adjust the amount of fluids that you're taking in, the amount of fluids that you drink before mm. the race. And it's all about just getting used to it and practice, like everything. The more mm. you practice, you know, at whatever you're aiming for and the conditions that you're going to be taking part in, then the better prepared you'll be. And it can be a little bit hit and miss because you can have practiced so much and then the race comes along and things just don't go to plan like you thought they might. And, you know, something you miss, some, you miss a drink or something or, you know, Little things happen, stupid things are the things that cause the biggest problems for some of the best athletes. And I think the the faster you're running, then, you know, the more efficient that you need to be and mm. the more prepared you can be. The problem for marathon runners, if they're out there running for a long time, is that they're actually out there for longer in those conditions. Mm. And... You know, that's, I think the, the thing there is they just have to slow down. It's like we say this for everything. You have to slow down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a running theme in this podcast. Uh, Everybody wants to go faster. And I yeah. slow down. Yeah, relax the cats, Because the thing everybody. is, at the, end, at the end of the day, you want to get from the start line to the finish line. Mm. So, you know, you have to get there in the best possible way. And if it takes you a bit longer than you ideally want to do, 
then you just have to accept that and be happy that you finished the line because you think is you'd rather finish than not finish at all. Well, it's a good uh, overarching message for what we're about to discuss, a kind of an understanding of, you know, what the actual goal is here. And before we get into kind of the nitty gritty and the deeper discussion and the the marginal gains and the fine details and a lot of our questions from our uh, Strava member groups and our listeners are pretty, you know, deep dive, fine detail questions. Let's start where I am, which is someone returning from injury, essentially beginning again, happy to say that it feels like my stress reaction in my left leg is in the rearview mirror this weekend. My family and I ran the Photo Island Cheetah Run, the virtual event that we organised for the podcast and for our listeners and tied in with uh, Photo Island and their uh, fundraising event. It was an amazing experience to run it with the family. I have to can't recommend it more to just get a gang of people together for our next event or an event. Just that feeling of all of you togged out in the gear and going down and coming home and getting your medals. It really was special. And it did make me think, well, like, were I to say now I'm going to put a marathon as my goal? I thought we should start by going, how long does that take to train for? Because when I Googled it, it was, you know, some people saying 20 weeks, some people saying a year. I I just wanted to start there, that if if people don't set themselves enough time to do it, surely they can snooker themselves from the word go. Yes, I think, you know, you need to take time to train for the marathon but you also have to not too much time because if you train for 20 weeks and from you know day one you're thinking right i'm training for the marathon you're going to get bored and you're going to get stale because it becomes very monotonous and the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. so i think you have to break it down even further and i would think that 12 weeks is plenty i think it doesn't mean that you do nothing before 12 weeks. You're still running and you're fit and your general over, overall fitness is that you're ready to start training for the marathon. And then you set that date 12 weeks out. And then you, the key thing for training for the marathon is that you gradually increase the length of your long run. Okay. That is the, that is the most important thing. And then, then you get good at doing the long run. So I think what we're going to do with you the next time when we, when we get, get you back on the marathon plan is to focus more on the distance and covering the distance rather than the speed. Because okay. we know you can run fast now and you know you can run fast. Mm. And just by running more at a slower pace, you'll become better at running and then you'll become more efficient. And then as you get closer to the end, you can gradually start running at marathon pace so let's look at marathon pace rather than 5k pace yeah i mean this Um, is this is a bit scary like to me like i think that this is probably what scares people off was what they go they think what i'm thinking which is that maybe that's not in me maybe this isn't for me and how many weeks did you say 12 12 12 weeks weeks. that like i nearly can't wrap my head around that idea (laughs) that i would prepare for a marathon in 12 weeks time like that's like I I, I, my head spins when I think about that in the same way as my now with all the discussion of COVID going on for so long my head swims 
when people start talking about it. And in the same way, I guess part of training is actually wrapping your head around that time frame and that this is in you. But is it possible that you could launch into it? It's my second question of the podcast. Is it possible that you should go and be assessed, meet a coach, meet a physio before deciding I'm going to do this? Because there surely are people who know this is beyond you. You, you, you. you shouldn't attempt this because it's, it's not on the cards for you or within your uh, physical capabilities. Definitely. I mean, the thing that we're talking about here is just a general plan. Mm. And it's just kind of general ideas that kind of umbrellas over runners in general. But everybody is different and every coach is different. And, you know, the, the philosophy and the beliefs of the coach and how they approach getting somebody ready for a marathon is very different. Yeah. So I think everybody has to look at themselves as I've got to do a training plan for the marathon that's specific to me. Yeah. Now, I do follow you follow all the general principles of marathon training of, you know, running long runs and, you know, the, the fueling and just everything that goes along with it. But if at all possible, you try to specify the plan to your needs and to, you know, what best suits you. Now, the problem with that is that then you've got all these individuals running around by themselves and it's much more fun if you can meet up with other people. I can remember when I was training for Dublin Marathon in 2015 and doing, I did, I, somehow I managed to do a good few of my long runs in the Phoenix Park. And it was fantastic because there were so many people in there running around and, and little groups of people. And occasionally I met somebody and would run with them. And it just makes it, to me anyway, it makes it much more enjoyable when you're running with somebody who has a common goal. So, a lot of what we do is specific to you, but there's other people doing similar thing. So you can mix and match in with other people to help yourself along. And I think that's really important for, you know, clubs and groups all around the country who are training together. When they're in it together, then the workload is much less. And, you know, you're going out for your 20 mile run or something. And it's a big challenge for a lot of people. But when there's many people in there doing it together, it seems a lot less of a channel challenge. Yeah, no, I and get you. Check, you. you know, when, when you plan out the route together and you check the weather and, you know, there's a bit of discussion and chat about it and re- preview and review. And it just makes the whole thing. I suppose that's the, the thing that's getting more and more people running marathons is that they're in it together. And I think you're better off. You have your specific plan but you compromise a little bit so that you can do it with other people. Mm. Because I think the sole marathon runner, it's definitely very hard work and you have to enjoy running by yourself. And some people do. I mean, I, I actually quite like running by myself, especially, especially now because I know I can't run at the pace of a lot of people and I don't want to put myself under pressure running with other people. So I'd be very picky and choosy who I might run with if I decided to run with someone because I don't want to be taken out of my comfort zone mm. <laughs> or what yeah and feel like I, peer I, pressure I, yeah yeah but yet it's important to do that because eventually you're going to run in the marathon with a lot of people all around you and you have to be comfortable with that and yeah. to be able to 
you know, not be distracted by all these people running different paces and stick to what you know you're capable of. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's one that we're going to have to get to in the second half of this conversation, as I said, which will be available to download in full on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I mean, the Excel version of this show is proving really, really popular with all the patrons over there. And it gives us a chance to get into kind of that kind of deeper thing of actual race day stuff that we'll get to. My third question, though, is the question of an actual coach. I think that point is well made and well taken that getting buddies and having a group does make it seem less mad. It's part of the reason comedians live together is because if you were just a comedian on your own, it would just seem absurd that this is the life you've chosen. And if you are running by yourself to this massive goal, I get you do have more time to reflect on it and think, oh, it's just me doing it. But then a coach like Trevor Cummins, train with Trevor, of course, a big friend of this podcast, a partner of this podcast who's been advising me every step of the way back from injury. Like it is extraordinary, Sonia. I found it really amazing just to see Trevor work, an actual like person who's devoted their life to helping people get to marathons and see uh, that that expertise alongside my physio here in St. Albans, how much, again, a, in the similar vein of not feeling alone in this and feeling like, oh, no, there is a, a kind of a user's manual uh, available that is adjustable to you, your size, your pace and your injury history. Would getting a coach be one of the things that you'd potentially advise someone who could afford to do that to do? I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve. I think, you know, to have a specific coach, you know, that means that you're really committed to this and you want to have a specific plan for you. Now, a lot, a lot of clubs will have coaches and a lot of groups have coaches. And sometimes you just need to tie in with a coach who oversees a big group and you feel like you're connected, a bit like our Strava group. You feel like you're connected to a group mm. and you feel a bit of um, accountability to what you're doing. Yeah. I know when, when I did this marathon in 2015, and I, I had run marathons before, but I purely wanted to enjoy the marathon. And I knew the best way to do that was to be as prepared as I could be and to also set a realistic target and goal like I could easily have said I'm going to break three hours but I didn't want to put myself under that pressure and then kind of implode <laughs> during the race and I wanted to finish strong like I wanted to be passing people at the end rather than having people pass me mm. and to do that it's like you're sitting up there with the horse and cart for some reason I always have visualized this that <laughs> you're holding the reins and you're holding yourself back so you're really taking it nice and handy. And all these people are streaming past you at the start. And then you look at your watch and it's 4.10. And you're supposed to be running 4.20 pace. And you're thinking, oh, I'm never going to keep this up. <laughs> I have, and and you're, nearly, you're nearly running backwards you know, so to slow yourself down. <laughs> so, I mean, I did link in with a coach that year. But it was a, definitely, it was a, um, a distance coaching thing. And, and he wasn't... He wasn't personally coaching me, but he had a coaching plan for a group of marathon runners that the key thing for me was the increase in the 
long run every weekend and to have the guidance to know how to do that. And this guy, his name was David Carey. And he's up there in, in County Loud, I think he is. Mm-hmm. And he's, from what I know, got, you know, the most successful numbers of people, first-timers, to complete a marathon. And he used to write a program in The Irish Runner for getting ready for the Dublin Marathon. And it would cl- include all the runs along the way. And I just got in touch with him and I wrote to him and I said, listen, can you help me out here? And and he used to send me the plan every few weeks and we just kept in touch. So I think sometimes it's just having that little bit of communication with somebody who understands, you know, what you're trying to do at lots of different levels, because there are so many different levels of people out there who are running the marathon. I mean, you know, people, it takes them three hours, it takes them seven hours. That's a massive difference yeah. of, you know, level of people that you're dealing with. But everybody needs, I suppose you need to do the physical training, but then you also have to have the mental capacity to understand what you're doing and to appreciate that you're ready. When you stand on that start line, you know what you can do. And then it's just on the day, it's kind of up to how you play it out and that you stay in control of what you know you're capable of and you don't let the excitement and the adrenaline of the day kind of overtake you like you you do use that to your benefit but you don't get too excited and you just kind of contain yourself I mean I can imagine you starting on the start line Gerlach and you'll be so excited mm. I'm I'll have to physically go out there with the reins and hold you back <laughs> yeah. well yeah I mean that would it when you when you mentioned the people streaming by and like literally going full pelt from the line that is the kind of image that we have isn't it of these the start line for whatever marathon it is whether it's New York London or Boston or Dublin and it's it obviously is fueled by that excitement. I really do want to get into these listener questions because we've had so many great ones. After that, we'll get to Sonia's tip of the week and we'll have our running thingamabob of the week where we recommend an item of running gear because there's so much of it out there. And then, of course, we'll have questions from all sorts and every angle of this thing in the Excel version of the show. The first question comes from Padraig McColgan, who wants to know if cross-training is essential to avoid injury in the lead-up to the marathon. Now, this cross-training, not cross-dressing, that's a very different thing, although you do see a lot of that (laughs) with marathons. (laughs) Uh, Cross-training is a question that comes up time and time again. What is the theory here? And when we talk about cross-training, are we specifically talking about the light bike and getting kind of aerobic work done? Or can it be as simple as playing five-a-side? I don't think it's playing five-a-side because you could get taken out there and injured. (laughs) That's way too high risk. Okay, cross five-a-side off. (laughs) I think the cross-training in relation to marathon training is the replacement of like what we would consider junk miles. So I think... You know, you have to get the specifics right. And then if you feel like you need to do extra mileage, then maybe you could bring in a bit of cross training, some easy cycling. And I think when you're trying, if you have no problems, you have no injuries, you're well able to get out there and run. 
a decent amount every week. So, you know, 50 to 60 kilometers, I suppose, every week. Mm -hmm. That would be a good starting point. But you feel like you need to put in a bit more time then to take the pressure and the weight bearing of running off of you, but you're still out there working aerobically, then cross training is a good idea. But the cross training should be easy. And so if you're doing your specific long run, you're doing your specific session, you're getting in a few other runs during the week, then there's no point going out cross training and smashing yourself mm. and just beating yourself up so that when you come back to run that you're sore and tired from using different muscles. But you actually use the cross training as a recovery method as well. And I think it definitely has a benefit if you can do that. And whether it's cycling or like there's this great bike I was using in Australia. It's a elliptico. And they have these machines in the gym, you know, the, the I know cross the training elk, yeah. machine. Yeah. And they're fantastic because it's the whole running motion and it's less weight bearing than running. But you're still in the same movement. It, it's a crazy look at movement. <laughs> like I've <laughs> often looked at the person on that machine and thought, what is the practical use of this action? Because you do look like someone. How is the best way to describe it? Kind of cross country skiing through marshmallow. Uh, where you're riding high, <laughs> arms are going out, legs are going back. But now that you say it, these are exact running motions, just without that impact and that clash of foot tarmac force through the legs. It must be it must have been nearly invented for runners in a way. Well, I think it was developed from there was a cross training machine, a ski machine, mm. which I, I actually used one of these one time. I think it was called a Nordic ski. And there were these wooden slats that would slide back and forth. And it was really like the old style ski mm. machines. And there was one year I was injured and I used this a lot. And then when I started back running, then my arms were running like I was skiing. Like they were, <laughs> it was really strange <laughs> because I had done so much of it. And I can remember running around Bushy Park and thinking, my arms are really odd here. This is not right. And I had to, you know, get them back up running in a proper running motion. And even people noticed it and saw it, even the first couple of races that I ran, that I was running a bit funny. And it was just this kind of muscle memory thing from cross training and then going out running. And then I had to reinvent it and, you know, bring back the muscle memory for real running. But it's it's the perfect cross training activity, whether you're coming back from injury or whether you're using it as an extra for your training because you're using your arms and you're using your legs and, and a lot of people they don't use their arms enough when they're running hmm. and you know it, it really does help to use your arms to kind of you know move yourself along and it's that synchronization of the arms and legs working together and it can actually take a bit of a load off of what you're trying to do and not focusing purely on your legs running along by themselves. Yeah, I'm going to include something more on arms in the notes uh, for this episode, because, you know, that is another uh, rabbit hole you can go down on, whether it's just through web search or YouTube, because the arm the relation of positioning of our arms and the use of arms was something I'd never even thought about. We could probably get a separate episode out of it if we really tried, but we need to get to Sonia's tip of the week. Tip of the week, 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 tip of the week. It's Sonia's tip of the week. 
so we'll lash in the <laughs> the annoying <laughs> jingle and, and well, the oh listeners get the here. benefit of the jingle <laughs> we don't get to hear it <laughs> I can take a deep breath here now and think, what the hell is my tip of the week? I'm still, <laughs> I'm still up in the air. I'm well, let me give you a little quick uh, one here just on nutrition. I got a I got a lovely big box of Fulfill Bars in the post here, Sonia. And I wanted to ask if you are a protein bar person because the Fulfill Bars are nearly too good to be true. Loaded with protein and the most ridiculous flavors like i'm not doing an ad for fulfill bars here but i am very grateful that they sent me these they contain so much protein that it's nearly you're nearly like how is that even possible and how can they taste like mars bars like they taste delicious <laughs> what's what's your approach to these and are they of any use to runners or are they more for people in the gym i don't mind the bars every now and then but I tend to carry, I like the idea of them and I like the flavors of them. And every now and then I have one, but I have to be desperate to have them. You know, I, I'm a bit of a foodie and mm. I, I really like real, I do like real food. Mm. But if I, I think the protein bars are, they're good in an emergency. Yeah. And if you get caught out, I think, I think that's the problem. And I think we might have a question about this later on Yeah. about, you know, the need to eat a lot when you're training for a marathon. And um, I think sometimes if you have too many of these bars, then you're overeating because you're taking in too much calories, I think, for what you really need. Because a lot of those bars, they get a lot of calories, a lot of energy, a lot of nutrients in them that you're getting in, in like, you know, how long does it take you to eat one of those? Two minutes. And <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so when, when, like, whenever I have one of those bars, I kind of break it into small pieces, and I, I might save it. And if I'm stuck, and I go to the coffee shop, I'll have it for you know afternoon snack. And you think that okay, well, this is a bit healthier than mm, chocolate bar. Absolutely. And, but I might only eat half of it, and then I know if I'm really hungry, I eat the rest of it. But you know, if if you're really just having it as a snack or a little bit of a something with your coffee then I think you need to break it down into smaller pieces because if you have too many of those, then there's not enough room for the real fuel that you need to be eating. And I think this is I a really good that's... tip of the week. I think we've somehow got to your tip of the week <laughs> and ran a roundabout way. Because uh, yeah, it, like just because it's a bar doesn't mean you have to eat the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. OK, right. Well, big shout out to Fulfill, which is an Irish company as well, started by uh, Irish people who... I had this brainwave on it and uh, I'm hoping to get them on the show at some point because it's a really extraordinary Irish business success story. If you don't already know, I am doing a kind of an Irish business podcast series on a Thursday. I'm looking at independent booksellers and Sonia and I have been talking about doing setting up a few runs around Ireland for when we're back in August that might, might, might rotate around these bookshops that we're finding. There's a brilliant one that we're doing on this Thursday called Halfway Up the Stairs in Greystones, which is specifically a kids books bookstore, which is a conversation I can't wait to have with Trish Hennessy, the owner of that shop. 
But uh, Sonia, we're going to get to so much more. We've questions coming in on uh, mileage. We have questions coming in, as you said, on nutrition. And of course, nature's call <laughs> subject that people have wanted us to get to. They wanted us to get to this shit soon. <laughs> we've, we've gotten to it. That's in the second half of the show. If you come over and join us on Patreon as a member, a premium member of this series, you can enjoy all of that. So we'll say good luck to our SoundCloud and iTunes listeners until next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress.